Welcome to Silly History. I'm Matt Pekarski. I love funny stories, especially when they come from real life. I've compiled a long list of true tales that made me laugh, and now I want to share them with you. There's a lot of crazy stuff historical figures did or said, and yet we've never heard about them. History class would have been a lot more interesting with some of these sprinkled in here and there. Not that I ever disliked learning history. Hopefully there's at least a couple of yarns you haven't heard before. Let's hear one now. It was 1974 and little Timmy was really late for school. His alarm clock was knocked off the nightstand after the first time it rang, and he slept another 20 minutes until his mother realized he wasn't walking out the door. After she ran into the room and shook him awake, Timmy threw on the first set of clothes he found lying on the floor, ran a brush twice through his mop of hair, and grabbed his backpack. His mother shoved a piece of toast into his mouth as he ran out the door. He only had a few minutes to catch the bus, and he had a bit of an obstacle course to navigate. Vulcan is an extremely small community established by coal miners, so small that they never incorporated as a municipal government. At the time, only 200 people lived in the hamlet, which resides on the very southwest border of West Virginia. It only takes a four-minute walk to cross over into Kentucky, sharing the Tug Fork River as their border. All of the kids crossed the river to ride the bus to school. Timmy ran down the path from his house and approached the first obstacle. A train track wrapped around the community, following the natural flow of the river. Today, no trains were chugging past, so Timmy was able to hop over the rails with great ease. Sometimes he was forced to crawl under the parked cars. He continued to follow the pathway leading across the river and to where the school bus was hopefully waiting. It would only take another minute for him to make it. But then his feet skidded across the gravel road to a halt. All of the kids in the community were standing at the edge of the river, looking confused and shocked. Why weren't they on the bus, Timmy thought. He got an answer when he walked up to the group. The second and last obstacle was the old wooden footbridge across the river. It was constructed by the miners who previously inhabited the area decades prior. Some of the planks were missing, but the children figured out how to navigate those areas when they crossed. But finally, the wood completely rotted and the bridge collapsed. The kids stood there in disbelief, realizing they wouldn't make it to school. It was the hamlet's only legal point of access to the outside world. There was an extremely narrow road, off of which many drove their vehicles into the river. The road was owned by the railroad company, who had technically restricted it to private use only. Most of the residents parked on the other side of the river and entered using the footbridge. The only establishment operating in the community was a bar, owned by a man named John Robinette. One day he was talking to one of the older residents, listening to her complain about a truck driver who refused to navigate the narrow and menacing road to deliver her new furniture. She was 76 at the time and wished to see a new, vehicle-friendly bridge completed before she died. This inspired John to take action. He was a shrewd and single-minded man. Having once worked as a carnival barker, he knew how to capture a person's attention. He self-appointed himself the mayor of Vulcan and began making calls to the state. For roughly three years, he badgered the state and federal governments, demanding they replace the bridge. And after three years, he was all but ignored, a hillbilly living in an afterthought of a defunct mining community. Undeterred, Robinette decided to seek outside help. The richest country in the world was shelling out cash to aid others in foreign countries 
but it couldn't even spare a few pennies to help its own residents. He wrote two letters, one to the Soviet Union and the other to East Germany, requesting financial aid. When he didn't hear anything, he wrote the Soviets again. A Russian journalist named Iona Andronov was working out of New York City for the Literaturnava Gazeta, a weekly publication in Moscow. He was given word of the Vulcan plight and traveled down to check it out. When he arrived, he found a John Robinette waiting for him. Andronov's visit didn't go unnoticed. Word traveled fast throughout the media and into the government's ears before he even arrived in town. John had notified local reporters of the meeting, who were there to capture every detail of the strange rendezvous between the backwoods hillbilly and the metropolitan communist. Coincidentally, it didn't take much longer than an hour into Mr. Andronov's visit for the news to reach his and John's ears that the state announced it would build a bridge after all. Apparently, the state of West Virginia wasn't ready to be embarrassed by the Soviet Union. Even so, Andronov assured Robinette if the state ultimately reneged on their promise, Mother Russia would take care of the community. A few years later, the road bridge West Virginia promise was completed, and Vulcan finally had real access to the outside world. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, please subscribe, give it a five-star rating, and share with not one but two of your friends. If I haven't told your favorite silly story from history, send me an email at nightowlbroadcasting at gmail.com. Subject, Silly History Story. This is a Night Owl production and made possible thanks to donations by you, the listener.